Drumming. This is the Working Drummer Podcast, featuring conversations with ground-level pros from all styles and regions. Real drummers with real stories about making a living in music. Hey everyone, welcome to Working Drummer Podcast. I'm Zach Albetta, and this week I'm talking with my good buddy, Quinton Q. Robinson. Q was a guest back in 2018 on episodes 181 and 183, and at that time he was just getting interested in musical theater and setting his sights on playing Broadway productions. Since then, he's spent time in New York meeting Broadway drummers, musical directors, and contractors, and playing readings and off-Broadway productions. He also got in with the Alliance Theater in Atlanta and played a handful of shows there. That legwork has culminated in Q landing the drum chair for the touring production of Ain't Too Proud, the Tony Award-winning Temptations musical. We would appreciate your support on Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash working drummer and a donation in any amount gets you access to exclusive content from our former guests. Think of this as professional development for drummers, all useful and actionable lessons for the working pro. We're populating new content regularly and as little as $1 a month gets you access to all of it. If Patreon isn't your thing, you can also make a one-time donation through PayPal. There are links for both on our homepage at workingdrummer.net. While you're there, you can learn more about this episode and check out our archive of over 300 episodes. Also, please subscribe to Working Drummer Podcast on your platform of choice. We're available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and YouTube. And be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Lastly, however you listen, please leave us a rating and review. This helps new listeners find us. Our latest Patreon content features Ash Sohn, also great stuff there from Doan Perry, Joe Bergamini, Stephen Chopek, and Chuck Palmer, talking about specific songs they've tracked drums for and all the technical and creative aspects of those recording processes. You can get access to this and the rest of our Patreon content for as little as $1 a month, so check that out. We'd really appreciate your support. Again, that's patreon.com slash working drummer. So since he was on the podcast a few years ago, Q has become one of my good friends here in Atlanta, and it's been great to see him go through this career transition and get the kind of gig that he really set out to get. So hope you dig hearing about it. Here we go with Q Robinson. Man, it was a great show last night. Thank you for having me. It was it was amazing to see you uh, do your thing in the. I appreciate it, man. It was it was great to have you there. You know, I hold you in such high regard. It made me it made me focus a bit more. Like not that I don't focus, but like having someone else like over the right shoulder. Yeah. Like I just wanted to make sure that I wasn't goofing off as much. 
<laughs> what goofing off is there usually? You know, sometimes I'm, I'm having like air battles with uh with Leo on the other side of the pit, <laughs> like the whole up, right down thumbs thing. up, thumbs yeah. down, yeah, yeah. And then you know, uh, just every now and again, you if you've done a show long enough, especially when you're hidden, you just kind of know when you have lulls where you can just kind of yeah, just kind of hang. So, um, being a bit more engaged, um, you know, in that, in that space. Yeah. You were sitting up good and straight, man. <laughs> it's that motion pro throne, baby. It's that motion pro throne. Oh, shit. But no, it was, um, it was, it was great. Um, and for me, it was kind of almost, I hate to say it like that, but it was a dream realized to actually have my own cubby, my own pit space and have someone audit a book that I'm playing. Right. Because how many First, times have you done that? Oh, my God. Being on the other side of it, it's just kind of like, wow. I was like, oh, this is what... And it, it's a little different than, you know, someone subbing for you on a rock show or RB show. Or yeah. Whatever, you know, but actually sitting there and someone's literally looking at every thing you're playing. Every note you're playing, literally. Right. Like, those fills are written out. Mm-hmm. They're, like, there were a few times, there were maybe, like, half a dozen mm-hmm. fills that you got to just do yourself. Mm-hmm. But most of them were notated. And I was watching. I was like, yep, he did that one. <laughs> yeah, yep, that one too. <laughs> I think that's probably the biggest question that I get from um, most guys, like, how much of this stuff are you actually reading? Is Particularly after he hit me play the show. Um, and I take it as a compliment because, you know, sometimes as a reader, um, I know uh, the biggest challenge for me when I was learning how to apply theory to a drum set, um, my playing became very sterile mm-hmm. and devoid of feel. Yeah, yeah. So for someone to ask, like, man, you sound great. How much of that are you actually reading is I take it as a huge compliment. And I'm like, 99% of the stuff that I'm playing is actually ink. Yeah. And even the stuff that's not ink, it's in the style of the ink itself. Right. It's not, they don't care about my personality on drums. They want to hear their ink. So, yeah. you know, finding ways to insert yourself without being over, overdoing it is um always a trick. And every show has its challenges like that. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. So you mentioned like, you know, how many shows you've audited and how many other cats booths you've sat in mm-hmm. um and i remember i mean it was probably four years ago by this point but the the uh the first time you were on the podcast mm-hmm. you were just starting to sort of try to make this transition mm-hmm. into playing more musicals because mm-hmm. like you know for what 10 years or something in atlanta you had been doing avery sunshine and anthony david and Peebo bryson and mm-hmm. all this kind of gospel-based mm-hmm. stuff and you started doing musicals and you were like man i want to do more of that You're right so when we talked you were like, you know, I'm I'm wanting to get up to New York more. I'm I'm doing more readings. I'm sitting in like so. It like you, I mean, you kind of said it last night. You were like, it's crazy that we're here, right? Because you know we're about to do this interview tomorrow, and the last interview we did, like this is what I was talking about doing. Mm-hmm. And you've done I don't know six shows between then and now, yeah. right? At like the Alliance Theater and probably and, more than that. Um, if but, I think about it, uh. But let's stick with six. Right. <laughs> let's stick with six. But it's been this upward trajectory to sure. getting this gig, mm-hmm. right? To getting this New York-based mm-hmm. touring Broadway show. Yeah. Um. So, h- how'd you do it? <laughs> uh, 
it happens for everyone differently, but I will say for me, it is the ultimate investment in self. And I think when people say investing in yourself, they mean gear. No, it's like... <laughs> yeah, that's an excuse to buy shit. It's a, literally <laughs> just another excuse to buy more stuff that... Well, I always need it, so... No, anybody, you don't. Yeah, shut up, No, Zach. you don't. All right, so how did it start? Man, I, I would literally... If I had like a couple of days earlier in the week, like a Tuesday, Wednesday... You know, typically the weekend warrior weekend starts around Thursday or Friday. Um, I would fly myself up to New York, um, have very expensive coffees <laughs> with people. Um, sometimes it would literally be just to fly myself up there and have a coffee with a Broadway drummer, you know, or fly myself up there, float in a hotel a night or two, send as many shows as I can, meet as many people as I can. Um Anytime I was in New York for a reading, um, I would spend extra time there just to get FaceTime with, you know, decision makers and, you know, individuals that were that were in that world and um, just create somewhat of a presence there. And um, I don't believe in luck. I, I do believe in um, divine um, ordinance and what you put out into the universe will come back to you. And it's how you respond to that. Um, I know that I am sitting in a very privileged position because there are people that started or had aspirations to do what I'm doing long before I did. Mm -hmm. And um, I think we talked about this before. I was like, I feel like I skipped some steps, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you, you might've, but they, they, like you've kind of proven that for some people maybe they're unnecessary steps mm. like if you're talking about the step of actually moving to new york mm -hmm. or if you're talking about i mean like what uh, what steps do you think you've skipped other than you, you haven't moved to new york i have not moved to new york obviously um, but what other steps do you feel like you skipped well typically especially with the the, the caliber of musical that this is mm -hmm. um Sometimes you start off on maybe like a a B show, mm -hmm. like not necessarily like a blockbuster or award winning show like Ain't Too Proud. Sometimes you do a show that might have not went to Broadway yet, you know. Right. Um, but you did a bunch of those here. Well, yeah, but I'm I'm talking about something New York based, uh -huh. something that has the proverbial legs to go. Right. Um. And, you know, I don't I don't think I went through that stuff. I didn't go through the the rigors of doing a bus and truck tour, you know. Right. Um, and um, I don't know if Clayton talked to you about that, but, you know, his first Broadway thing was a bus and truck tour. Was it Memphis? No, his first show was Footloose. <laughs> right. Wow. Yeah. Um, so, you know, bus and truck tour for anyone that's listening is more of a, you know, you're doing maybe one or two days in a city you're packing up everything and you're moving on to the next city right like immediately that's it's, hard touring it's very hardcore touring. do shows still do that yes they st okay yes. so what you're doing like what sam merrick is doing mm -hmm. with with hamilton mm -hmm. these are kind of like sit down in one spot mm -hmm. for at least a week and hamilton is a different level of that like hamilton does not sit down for less than a week right traditional like if they're somewhere they're two three months lion king is like that um so you call those full production tours hmm. like they're in they're in cities for multiple weeks at a time um 
we are on a um they call it a pamphlet B tour. We don't sit in a city any less than a week. Mm-hmm. You know, could be longer. Like we we're in DC for five weeks. Right. You know, when we do Detroit, we'll be in Detroit for a month. Chicago for two weeks. Cincinnati. Like next week, we're in Cincinnati for two weeks. Right. Yeah. So it allows you to become acclimated to the to the city, absorb some of the culture. But um, I have a buddy who, coincidentally, you should introduce. Um, interview him he's doing mr saturday night um on broadway mm-hmm. right now i think they're like in their tech rehearsals or whatever but he was doing summer the the donna summer musical and they were literally in cities like one night yeah one or two nights That's and rough, then man. right and just the same level of production you know but like the schedule is there is no bumper for error Right. Yeah. Um, whether, you know, someone getting sick, whatever, like right. everything has to go right every time you set everything up. So you skipped over that kind of a tour. Yeah. Um, and you skipped over doing like the off Broadway stuff. Mm-hmm. But I, like I think of kind of, you know, the stuff that you did at Alliance and wherever else, like that's the off Broadway stuff. Absolutely. I, I kind of feel like if you would just take the Alliance Theater uprooted and just smack like that smack in Times Square it would instantly become one of the better Broadway theaters you think no disrespect to Broadway there's a lot that goes into it but just the way they operate Mm. you know how they handle everything is such you know above board yeah you know it and you've experienced that you see how they do things totally and so for me you know doing this tour it was like a round peg and a round hole simply yep. because I've already been exposed to that level of production at Alliance Theater. Right. Like the decision makers on this show looked at you and they were like, okay, well he hasn't been in New York, but mm-hmm. he's been doing all the shit that, you know, a person in New York would be doing sure. if we were looking at him to do this. Sure. Tour. It reminds me, the Alliance reminds me a lot of uh, the Kansas city repertory theater. Mm. Um, Cause I played a bunch of shows there mm-hmm. and also like uh musical theater West in LA. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, for people who are listening who want to play in musical theater, like you can you can move to New York and you can do that whole thing. But there's so many cities that have a great regional theater. Absolutely. And it's like a, it's a combination of, you know, some like touring shows will come through, whether it's a musical or a play or whatever. Um, but a lot of it is is sort of like, you know, local or regional actors and musicians putting on like great plays, great musicals. Mm -hmm. Um, And you can get a ton of experience um, playing in the theater. It's like, and it's usually good money. It's usually a union gig. I will also say with uh, Alliance, Alliance kind of separates itself because it's a regional theater that has won a Tony. (laughs) Right. right? Like, so there's that. And because of that, they operate at such a high level because of that. Um, not to mention, you you have, like you say, there are some theaters that kind of dabble in both, like they'll bring things in. Mm-hmm. And Alliance is one of these places that's been known to help develop shows on its way to Broadway. Mm-hmm. There have been countless musicals off the top of my head. I can think of four right now that originated from the Alliance Theater. Wow. Like the commercial producers and the directors they 
started the show here right as they're out of town it's almost like a farm team mm-hmm. like for the major leagues like, absolutely we're gonna get this thing on its feet at the alliance mm-hmm. and then we're gonna send it to broadway mm-hmm. yeah and um the 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 folks over there are just amazing like huge shout out to susan booth who curates that whole thing mm-hmm. and the her entire team they just do an amazing job of you know just making sure that everything is always above board. Like yeah. so, walking into uh, our rehearsals, I was used to it already. Right. You know, um, and even in that, you know, Alliance Theater is the only theater that I've worked with, um, and that wasn't by design, but it almost seems like I exclusively work there. Mm-hmm. I will say that Alliance makes it difficult to work at anywhere else simply because when you, the people, you know, they spoiled you. Yeah. It's the people, (laughs) it's the personalities. It's also the, the gear and how they don't mind making sure that you have what you need, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. And, um, alliances where opportunity meets resources yeah which is all like sometimes the opportunity is there but the resources might not be as vast Mm -hmm. but um they do a pretty good job of you know managing both sides of it so you have this foundation of experience at alliance Mm -hmm. and so you're like you're starting to go up to new york you're sitting in andres's booth you're sitting in clayton's booth all these different cats Mm -hmm. and and at some point uh I, like this started moving before COVID. Like mm-hmm. these gears started turning before COVID, and it got inter- like interrupted. Mm-hmm. But Clayton basically said, like, because he's doing "Ain't Too Proud" on Broadway, mm-hmm. he's still doing it, right? Well, unfortunately, due to COVID, um, "Ain't Too Proud" the Broadway component has closed. Oh, right. Um, they they did their last shows in January of 2022. Wow. Okay, so they reopened and then closed down. Right. So the COVID scare happened. The you know the Omicron variant yeah, yeah. ran rampant through New York, and um, they were just losing way too much money, like being shuttered because everyone still needed to be paid. Right. You know, rent still needed to be paid, rental fees on equipment, and um, it just got to a point where it 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 wasn't sustain sustainable. Right. And um, so they decided to open up one last hurrah for two weeks and they did their final performance um, in January. Wow. So this is the only iteration of Ain't Too Proud Now. So are there any designs to uh, at some point reopen it on Broadway? Or Possibly. Okay. Possibly. But, you know, who but knows? But for now, they just can't. Yeah. It's who just... knows what you know, what happens in the next six months or six years, you right. know? Yeah, for real. Yeah, You know, uh, all, all you have is now and you have aspirations of things, but, you know, even if it's not on Broadway, it could be West End, it could be Australia. Yeah. It could be Japan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? Um, so all that to say, like, when when um, the touring production of Ain't Too Proud started coming together, mm-hmm. Clayton was doing the Broadway production mm-hmm. and and... By that time, you knew each other really well, mm-hmm. and he, <laughs> like, talk about skipping over some steps, like, right. he sort of passed over well, any number of New York cats who would have done great, well, but no, he said, this th- is the guy. No, it wasn't like that at all, was, actually. Okay. No, so uh, we met, <laughs> and uh, I, we hadn't talked about this because I hadn't had these experiences yet, but um, 
anytime you ask to sit in someone's pit, it is uh, code language for I am interested in subbing your show. Right. Had no idea. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I, I am just one of these guys who likes to see beyond the veil and see how things are are done. You know, it's cause it's funny because I'm I'm well aware of that. And I, I like I knew that when I asked to come sit in your pit mm-hmm. and I. <laughs> I didn't even ask. Right. It was like last week we were sitting around. I was like, I'm going to come see your show. Right. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and you're, you're one of the only few people that can make that request. And it actually happens simply because of, you know, you're Zach, you know, <laughs> can't tell this guy. No. Um, but uh, I met Clayton. Um, I was up there doing a reading for another musical that I helped develop a book for that has aspirations of going to Broadway. And um, one of the principals, just had opened maybe like two, three weeks prior. So I went and saw the show and she was like, hey, I want you to meet, you know, our drummer. And that, so that's how I met Clayton. And oh, okay. the, the first thing that Clayton says to me is like, yeah, I already have all of my subs. And I'm like, <laughs> okay. That's you know? some New York shit, it man. It really is. It's like, here's a guy you've never met who plays drums. I got all my subs. And he's he's the nicest guy, right? It's like, what's that song? I got a man. What's your man what got to do, do with, with me? me right? I got a man. <laughs> so we're, uh, So it was like, okay, cool. He was like, well, you know, the next time you're in New York, you know, you can come and sit in the pit if you want. I was like, okay, that'd be great. Um, it was maybe two weeks later. I was doing something up there, and I called him up and sat in his pit. And he was like, "Hey, I think I'm going to send you the information because by this time he he had done the soft stock of right. you know Google and Instagram, which goes back to something else we were talking about on the podcast before, where." You know, sometimes your preemptive audition is what you put online. Yep. So to anybody listening, anybody listening, trying to find inroads in, like, watch what you put on social media because people are looking, even if they're not liking it, they're checking you out. Yep. And um, so suffice it to say, he liked what he saw and he was like, hey, I had a sub that came in, great drummer, but he just wasn't the right fit. Um, I'm going to send you the book. I was like, okay, and I knew it was a pipe dream for me to ever play the show simply because geographically, you know, typically subs have to be ready on a diamond. Although I can get to New York, I got a bunch of sky miles, I can get there in two hours, mm-hmm. right? Right? Yeah. But it was a pipe dream. I was like, okay, this is nice. So, but it did give me the opportunity to learn learn a official Broadway book and yeah. see what that was like. And uh, so that was. February of 2019, uh, the Tonys happened that summer. I was up there doing something at the Lincoln Center for the Mostly Mozart Festival, and Ain't Too Proud got like 12 nominations, one for Best Choreography. And right after that, within the same week, they announced that they were doing a national tour. And Clayton hit me, and he was like, hey, um, they're going out on tour. I think you'd be great for it. Do you mind if I throw your hat in the ring? What I did not know at the time is that there were 74 other hats in the ring. Yeah. And um, they all did, you know, their various auditions. Yeah. Did you you put together a video audition for it, right? Um, No, it wasn't a video audition. Um, What I do, um, and this is my process, whether it's R&B, musicals or whatever, um, 
I will set my studio up as, you know, close to the performances I possibly could. And um, I will videotape myself and I will audit myself and I will see what I'm doing wrong. You know, how close am I to the original mm-hmm. or whatever. And um, I sent those to him just on, hey, this is what, you know, because it had been a few months we hadn't talked. And I sent those to him like in October and he, I sent those to him. He was like, oh, these are great. Um, Kenny wants to see you play the show. And I was like, okay. Um, well, it didn't actually happen that way. What he said was the producers and the music director want someone who has experience playing the show to do the tour. Mm-hmm. And when he said that, I immediately thought that he was disqualifying me because of where I lived. Mm-hmm. And because I had not, like, because in my mind, I was like, okay, this show is going to go to one of his top subs or whatever right and like not only do you not live there but you haven't actually subbed for him shut up the show exactly and he said that i was like oh well man thanks you know before i can get out thanks for you know considering me he was like so when can you play the show i was like oh okay (laughs) and so we went back through this thing and so you think in 2019 the end of 2019 no one sees what was coming in 2020 and at the time, um, the music director, Kenny Seymour, was traveling doing press to different theaters around the country for venues to bid on Ain't Too Proud coming there. So we settled on the last Sunday in February. It was literally wow. like before right things before. went crazy. But I just, okay, I just want to back up for a second because like you, you like not only made it a point to learn the show right like clayton gave you the book and and you could have been like well i'm you know i don't have a chance of playing this show mm-hmm. and like it's cool that he gave me the book but whatever so like you put the show together mm-hmm. in your studio mm-hmm. and uh like and then you kind of put yourself back on clayton's radar mm-hmm. uh and that i think is is so important like sh- short of that i don't think you would be playing the show facts I don't think if like if you wouldn't have gone back to Clayton and say like here's what I'm doing mm-hmm. with this music um and I would imagine like correct me if I'm wrong but if I was doing that um it would be sort of a a twofold um objective there mm-hmm. one to get feedback from him mm-hmm. right just like critique my shit tear mm-hmm. me apart how am I doing this right but also like do you remember me that's exactly what it was I learned this shit like. That's exactly what it was. <laughs> so uh, it went from that. Um, so I took the audio. You know, we all do this Pro Tools and Logic and Ableton thing. Mm-hmm. I went in. I stripped the drums off of the audio that he sent, and I replaced it with my with my drums. Mm-hmm. Um, I also took the conductor video, EQ'd the drums out, and played to that. Mm. So... While I was in New York playing with Kenny, I was kind of used to it, kind of used to his timing and how his conducting style, simply because I had been looking at it yeah. for like two months. I would say now what I know now about myself, it probably takes me maybe six to eight weeks to prepare myself to say, okay, I'm comfortable enough to play a musical. Yeah. That's, um, that's probably how long it would take me. Mm-hmm. Like- uh, and you know, there's so much, 
there's so much that goes around, especially as young drummers, about mm-hmm. like you got to be able to like do the shit on mm-hmm. a dime and be ready and read your ass off. And like there are situations in which yes, you got to show up and read and mm-hmm. do it. But um, I don't think enough drummers talk about like taking a long time to prepare mm-hmm. something. And it's not, it's not. And when I say that, anybody that knows me is like, I'm super hard on myself. For me saying six to eight weeks, it is because I am trying to find every nuance and nail every nuance, like to the point where you you become invisible. Mm-hmm. Like when you sit in someone else's chair on Broadway, that the actors don't even know that there's someone different in the chair. Right. Like... I can be myself in this book now because this is my book. Mm-hmm. But if I'm subbing for Clayton on Broadway or Andres on Hamilton, I can't sound like me. I need to sound like them simply because so much of, because it's not just actors. The conductor has to be comfortable with you because automation and lights and everybody is coming off of that conductor's count off yep and if he is uncertain i've been in a situation where the conductors have not been certain and the entire show feels disjointed Mm -hmm. and that could be from his inability to to trust the drummer like you saw the show last night there's nothing complex about the ink that i'm playing what is complex is sitting in those vamps and anticipating where that conductor is going to come down. Yeah. So that six to eight weeks that I'm talking about is understanding the personality and the conducting style of that particular conductor. Right. Now, if Smitty's not sitting in that chair and Daryl's sitting in that chair, I have to know that conductor. Mm-hmm. So a lot goes into understanding who's conducting and what their idiosyncrasies are. going to ask you what the hardest part about this show is because the drumming itself just mm-hmm. from the purely drummy drumming perspective not is not hard but like sitting in the booth with you last night like those vamps move so quick like i you know i've played a ton of shows um and usually like coming coming out of those uh is coming out of those vamps is usually like a little more gradual or like <laughs> even the count offs at the very beginning of the tunes, mm-hmm. you get like three, four, That's bang. It. <laughs> That's it. And so, so like with, that to me, that would be the hardest part of that show is mm-hmm. just getting used to that pace. That's what it is. And yeah, that's what it is. So it's, it's the unwritten, it's like understanding where the lyric or where the line is falling and using that as your four, yeah. going into your one, two, 
three, four. So while you just may hear a two count, I am dead set looking at the monitor to see, and that's why I have an actor's monitor so I can actually see where they are. Yeah. And then looking right over to the conductor because it might not be something it says, but it might be the gesture. Like Smitty has a hitch. <clears throat> Anytime he comes across his body on his three, mm-hmm. his eyes get big. <laughs> right? Yeah, right. And because his eyes get big, I know he's getting ready to count three, yeah. four. If I'm just listening for three, four, I'm going to miss that one. Yeah. But because I can see his eyes getting big, I can prep. So that's almost like the prep into three, right? Right. But it's no different with Avery. When Avery's wanting tempo, she taps her left foot, mm-hmm. you know? Um, there are different people that do different things. Sure, and you can pick up on all kinds mm-hmm. of body language like that. But in in a musical, and in this one in particular, mm-hmm. it's all just like microscopic, mm-hmm. right? The the time frame is tiny. The gestures are tiny because, mm-hmm. like you know, Avery stomping her foot, like mm-hmm. that's easy enough to pick mm-hmm. up on. But Smitty's eyes getting like a little wider. You're right. like, shit. Here we go. Right here we. <laughs> yeah, it's it's like that because we when we were in cast rehearsals. You know, even on slow songs, when you're counting three, four, if you're not laser focused in on what that is, you can miss it. Yeah. Um, the other thing is, um, as you can hear, there are a lot of drum intros into some of these songs. Yeah. So there, nailing there's that, that fill right. like a million times. It's that so six great. stroke roll is <laughs> everything in the show. Yeah. But understanding where you live in the tempo spectrum to make sure that you set up because you would hear him count. And then after I do the field, that's when the click starts. Right. You know? So if I'm four or five BPMs faster or slower, then I have to try to make that up. And now everything starts feeling like you're chasing that tempo, the entire song. Yep. Yep. You know, um, a lot of these Motown songs feel faster than they actually are. Yeah. So, yeah, Yeah, for real. Mm -hmm. Um, there was one that actually uh, was faster than I remember it. Um, All of them. <laughs> All of them. You cannot go off of record tempos. Yeah. Uh, and as fast as we're taking some of these songs, when you go and reference on YouTube at your leisure, just go and type in any Temptation song live, we are probably still 15 to 20 BPM slower than they took these songs. Oh, yeah. yeah right? For sure. Um, Des Mackinoff, who um, is the director for this show, was also the director for Jersey Boys. And so there, uh, he doesn't like a lot of space. So a lot of times, music and um, lyrical content are sharing a comma or a period. And where lines drop off, music comes right yeah, in yeah. afterwards. And... um it's still it's part of the allure to the show. I love a challenge and um most musical theater is a living breathing organism mm-hmm. and it's never the same twice. Um even with click tracks. Yeah. You know, um it's how the actors deliver their lines. It's what the conductor sees because regardless of what you know feels good if the conductor doesn't call it, you don't go. Right. Because it's more about what he's conducting because everybody is going off of his direction as opposed to saying, well, he said the line on the four. Here's the downbeat. Yeah. You know, so um, what's unique about this show is that we sit in a lot of one bar vamps. I was about to not like one beat vamps. Yep. 
one beat. Which is insane. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't know how common that is for modern musicals or something like Hamilton or something. It's not. But I have that book in it. Yeah. So, like, that speaks to what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Like, a, a lot of vamps in musicals are, like, a full bar vamp, mm-hmm. right? Or maybe even a two, four, two, four bar. You cannot count in twos and fours. It's one, yeah. one, one, one. Because it very well may be, if you count one, two, three, four, and he comes in... You could be on the opposite side of where he is. And you've got like two seconds of dead space. That's it. And yeah. No. <laughs> no. I, I, I learned that the hard way in rehearsal. Just, you know, um, I was very privileged. Uh, <laughs> talking about skipping steps, the, the three choreographers that I've worked with since I've started this journey have been Sergio Trujillo, award-winning choreographer, Casey Nicolau. And Warren Adams, those that's like top of the food chain choreography on Broadway. Mm-hmm. And so when we're in these uh, choreography boot camps, Sergio needs a certain thing. So those one bar vamps allow him to do what he needs to do without feeling inhibited by the click, right. because he knows we're on click, and because we are on click. A four count might not work for his movement. Yeah, two count might not work. A two count, exactly. <laughs> so being in a, a resetted one beat vamp allows him to do everything that he needs to do, and music just has to acquiesce to that. Yeah, it's a musical, but music is definitely low man on the totem pole <laughs> in regards to it's about the acting, it's about the blocking, it's about the automation. Yeah, and the music's got to bend to all of that. All of that. Yeah. And to be quite honest, with this particular construct, music is the, and that's the beautiful thing about music. Music is the only thing that can be flexible like that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You can't do a nine count with, with, with dance or, you know, you can, you you get what I'm saying? Like music makes the most sense to be malleable. Yeah. I don't know if it's the only thing that can do that, but it's the most capable. It's the most capable. It's the most flexible. It's the low hanging fruit of flexibility for a situation. Right. I think choreography is the least flexible, Yes, but dialogue can be flexible, but it like, you know, they're the people on stage, Mm -hmm. right? They're the people that are being seen and heard. Mm -hmm. So like they're doing the dialogue, they got to be comfortable. And that means that we have to we have to move bend around them there have been some shows uh we've done where they might not speak in bars and the producers will come to us not this show but it was a show we were doing at the alliance and they came over and they were like yeah we need 32 seconds of music like 32 <laughs> seconds like we don't know <laughs> 32 seconds <laughs> we don't know what that is so brandon um brandon bush Who's the brother of Kristen Bush, you know, Sugarland? Well, I, I interviewed him. Yeah, like that's right. Three, three months ago. Um, he came up with a rubric. It was like, okay, you need 32 seconds of space, so it needs to be at this tempo for this many bars. Right. And he was able to find out, figure out this formula for them for that show. But a lot of times they don't speak in our, in our talk. So we have to translate what they mean and give them a tangible musical product right which i i think is for me it's the beautiful the, the beautiful thing about musicals is that no one ever sees that yeah you know because they don't hear the click all they hear is the bass player going doom 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 right hi-hat that's it 
They don't know <laughs> the psychological warfare that we're all <laughs> dealing with. I don't think I breathe. Yeah. I don't breathe in the show until I'm actually playing because those vamps, I'm like, right. Don't just don't live. do it. Don't go. And it, you know, it's 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 pretty intense. Those yeah. vamps are pretty intense. Yeah. So this speaks to something else that you mentioned, which was that like you're like you're on tour, mm -hmm. right? Um, but there are many ways in which this is not a normal tour. This is not like the kind of touring that most musicians do. Mm -hmm. And you were talking about how, um, you know, a given day is kind of like a countdown to your half hour call. Mm -hmm. And I, I knew exactly what you meant by then, by that, because like you've, you've got to spend your whole day sort of getting ready to get in the zone to play this show. Absolutely. To deal with some of the shit we just talked about. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and at, like as a, um, as a different example, we started talking about, you know, Kevin Leon and a mm -hmm. gig like uh, St. Paul and the Broken Bones, mm -hmm. where like he's, you know, he's Shout on to Kevin, by the way. Hey, Kevin. <laughs> hey, Dangus. Dangus. <laughs> um, so like in a band like that, on a tour like that, it's mm -hmm. it's not that, you know, Kevin is any less focused than, than you are. Mm -hmm. But like when he goes on stage, when it's time to perform, um, it's a like it's a rock show and especially in that band he gets to kind of like stretch out be creative like it's a different headspace mm -hmm. that he spends the day getting into sure um and like maybe that headspace allows that kind of gig or a drummer in that kind of a gig to like be more relaxed during the day mm -hmm. like you know go fuck off and whoa there's symbols Sabian Sabian <laughs> <laughs> Man, the hand gestures strike again. <laughs> Jesus. Um, but maybe like that, that kind of a thing allows you to um, be more relaxed during the day sure. and fuck off and go ride a bike or something. Right. But you don't feel like you can do that because if you're not, and it's not like you got to sit in your room alone <laughs> concentrating all day. <laughs> but, well, to be honest, I am a homebody. So typically that's what I do anyway. <laughs> Um, there, I mean, everyone has their own ways of focusing. Like our, our conductor, Smitty, he's an avid bike rider. So mm -hmm. like he will go out and he will ride his bike and all of these things. He has like one of those Brompton bikes that kind of folds up and will fit inside your kick drum. Or whatever. Right, right. Um, but for me, um, and I don't know how much of that would probably be my OCD, but, you know, um, If the show starts at seven thirty, my mental preps probably start somewhere around four, four thirty. Um, whether it be um listening or maybe something didn't necessarily go right the night before, um, from an execution point, not from a consumer perspective, like it fell off a hill, but something that I wanted to do. Um, I'll look at the book, you know, I always bring my iPad back with me. Right. Um, so I look at that stuff at least once a day. Um, and it does two things. It gets me ready for that night, but it also, for me, keeps my focus on why I am out here. Mm, yeah, yeah. You know, um, I am so grateful for this opportunity. And because of that, I always want to do everything that I can. Um, and this might get a little sappy, but the fact of the matter is every show that we play, um, we're closing in on a hundred shows soon, which seems crazy. That's right? nuts. Already. Um, but 
although it's my hundred my hundred show might be someone's first time ever seeing theater. Yeah. Ever. Yeah. And it is my job to make sure that that person from my as much as I possibly can, you know, do everything I can to make sure that that person has an amazing first experience with theater. And because I know my bandmates and because I know the amazing actors that you know, I have the privilege of working with every day. It's that stare mentality as well. You know, we don't want any weak links. Lighting is like that. Automation is like that. Our carpentry team is like that. Our wardrobe, our wigs, everybody that's a part has that same thing. Like this is someone's first time ever seeing us. Yeah. And it could be their last simply because we're the only iteration of our show. Yeah. You know, so we, there's levity in that moment. Like, so for me, I'm not drinking or, you know, doing something that's going to exhaust me to the point where I'm incapable of performing at my best. Right. You know, right. Every night. And it would be so easy to um, just sort of settle into like it would it would be easy to say, like, I know this show. Mm-hmm. I don't have to look at the book. Mm-hmm. No. I know this show. Um, it would also be easy to. um like take a little, take a few more musical moments for yourself. No, uh, you know, but like you said, that, that mentality of like, this is someone's first time seeing theater. Mm-hmm. And even if it's not like everybody, uh, I'm working with right. is, you know, taking this at a level of seriousness mm-hmm. that, uh, <laughs> right. you know, because it's, it's a collaborative effort of artists across the board. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, everyone, is great at what they do. And um, because of that, you don't want to let anybody, like I know for me, and that's in any situation, I don't go in any situation wanting to let anyone down. Mm-hmm. Like, like I need to be able to make sure that I'm doing the thing that they expect because so much of what they have to do depends on me. I am the drummer on the show. This is not a rock show. Drums are not necessarily the thing that's thought about the most. But like we were talking before about concrete foundations, no one ever takes a look at a concrete foundation until there's a crack or the the floor sinking. Right. 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 Drums are just that. They build on top of me, you know, and, you know, conducting and all of that stuff. If the groove and the fill isn't right. And that's what Clayton told me when he chose me for the show. Well, when Kenny chose me through Clayton, through the whole thing, you know, he was like, you nailed the feel. The feel is what's most important. And when you think about the music that you play, Zach, or the music that Kenny, um, Kevin plays, Mm -hmm. it's about having that feel, that authentic feel um, for that show. Right. You know, um, I and Clayton do not play alike. We come from different backgrounds. Right. However there is a common ground of what this music should feel like. Right. And like the, the whole skill set of, of playing a musical, like you meant, you said earlier, like nobody cares about my personality on drums, Mm -hmm. but what I immediately thought is that what, what matters is your personality as a person and a, and your personality as a professional. Sure. Because they, yes, they don't care about your personality on drums, but Mm -hmm. they, um, what like what's required of you and what they need from you is is uh judgment and trustworthiness mm-hmm. and maturity and selflessness mm-hmm. and um you know the fact that you can play is b- 
beside the point. Right. That's table stakes. Right. Um, and to a certain extent, I think that's true in almost any gig, mm-hmm. right? Like be a pro, be cool, show up, do your homework, all that. But I think it's, 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 uh, to the nth degree <laughs> in a Broadway show. For sure. So, you know, the um the fact that you got this gig, I think has, you know, way more to do with those aspects of your personality than what you would sound like on the drums if you were given complete freedom. Mm-hmm. Um and it's a it's a different kind of equation, it's a different goal for, as a drummer mm-hmm. and it's a different kind of fulfillment. Mm-hmm. Right? Like so yeah, talk to me about that. Like your fulfillment from this show isn't coming from I get to express myself on the drums. Mm-hmm. Your fulfillment, I'm putting words into your mouth now. I said, talk to me about it, but I'm talking. <laughs> your fulfillment comes from the fact that you are depended on and trusted as a professional, as a musician, as a person. As a person. Um, um, you know, uh, well, let me back up and say I've always been a fan of theater yeah. from a kid. Yeah, right. There's so, nothing like it. It's one. Of, it's the most collaborative. It is thing. Yes, like, it's magic. The sense of community. It's the the fact that I can look over at my bass player friend and know that he's gonna play what's needed in that moment and not even think about it. You know, I don't have to worry about. Oh, it's six thirty. I haven't seen the guitarist. You know, is he gonna show up? Type thing. Right. right? Um. For me. Um. There's something there's something about being a part of something bigger, right? Yeah. Everybody doesn't like that. Everybody needs to be the biggest thing on the biggest stage. Mm-hmm. I like knowing that my part is as important as important as the next guys. Right. And the collaborative effort of all of those smaller things help create this beautiful thing that has people cheering, that has people crying, that have people spending their hard-earned dollars right. coming to see this beautiful piece of art that I'm a part of. Right. So it, that's where my fulfillment comes from. You and know? that's interesting because, like, in a in a pit um, – you know, in a, in a normal pit, mm-hmm. in a pit, say like thirty years ago, mm-hmm. there's already like a disconnect from the audience, mm-hmm. right? It's not a rock show. Mm-hmm. You're not on stage. Nobody's looking at you. Mm-hmm. Um, and now it's even more so because you're uh, like in this isolation booth, mm-hmm. possibly not even in the pit, not possibly even in, in a dressing room, right? Right. <laughs> And it, like the Fox at the Fox Theater in Atlanta, that's like they have a humongous pit, and it was so cool to be the down there. The largest pit that I've so they, ever yeah, been they in. just put your your ISO booth down there. But like that, that's another. I think that's another aspect of musicals that some musicians have a tough time with mm-hmm. is just being disconnected from the audience that way, and and having to find your fulfillment elsewhere. Well, this show this show is definitely different in couple of couple of reasons. Number one, I get to scratch that itch because I am a musician and I've spent my entire life on stage being seen. So I I, I scratch that itch at the end, right? Right. There is like the little finale right. where everybody's on stage. Right. So, so I do get yeah. a chance to scratch that itch. You get just enough of a taste right. of the adoration. The, the, of the... <laughs> like, you don't have to worry about like that, that moment has never come and like everyone's standing right like everybody like i don't even know if you saw it last night like um when we finished with just my imagination the extended applause 
I got so much joy from that moment. Mm. And it wasn't even my moment. Right. I'm playing side stick the entire song. But to hear that, it was that pride of knowing that my part helped create that moment. Yeah. Um, the other thing about this show, which is uncommon, is this show is where cultures collide mm-hmm. because your typical theater audience isn't that rowdy. You're, yeah. Like, I am an avid theater goer. I love theater. You sit there, you observe. And when appropriate, you clap. Right. There's no cheering. There's no standing ovations in the middle of the show. That happens at rock shows, right? Right. So Ain't Too Proud is where the theater goers go and the concert goers go Mm -hmm. and the people that are trying to relive their time growing up with this music come together right and you hear people high-fiving and you hear commentary of people sing it baby like i I heard that last night especially in atlanta yeah everybody's like you better sing right (laughs) you know or when elijah does some incredible riff and you hear other people no doubt probably music musicians go ooh, (laughs) you know that's something that you might not necessarily get on another show yeah right so for me this is the perfect show if this had to be my first show like it helped it's the halfway house yeah right yeah uh to be able to create to still have that that live feel but then also Combining, and we talked about this when you helped write my amazing um, biography, combining those two worlds that I love so much together, you know, this is the perfect gig for me. You know, the love of theater and the love of music and putting it together in such a way where I can scratch both of the itches without necessarily sacrificing on one or the other. Yeah. Yeah. It's a different kind of fulfillment. And and you'd be surprised uh how fulfilling it can be like yeah. if, if if you've lived your musical life like in a rock band mm-hmm. with that kind of vibe mm-hmm. but then you go into a musical and and you're part of this big machine and just this multidisciplinary uh you know engine that's that's running um it's a different vibe and it's not for everybody it's some, not for everybody some people you know just would not um uh would not do well with kind of the lack of the the audience interaction mm-hmm. or the um you know, sort of the locked downness of it. I think um, we talked about before, I think um, for, for musicians to do what they do on such a high level, there is a, there's a tad bit of narcissism. Oh, for sure. Um, that goes along with it. And I think uh, with that narcissism that's fed from the, the, the adulation of the crowd, right? right. Like getting that, and um it's a feedback loop it's a feed exactly and it's not necessarily in a negative context it's just like you have these sort of notions about yourself and then those notions are affirmed Mm -hmm. by an appreciative audience i'm doing this thing do you like it (sighs) (laughs) i'm gonna continue to do this until i no longer get that right um yeah so for me it shifts from do you like what i'm playing to do you like what we've presented yeah you know and yeah. i've always been a wee guy i'm you know I'm, solos are not necessarily my thing like you know if i have to do it i will um 
uh, our guitarist in certain songs, you know, drums kind of take over at the end of these songs or whatever. Yeah. And he calls those my solo moments, my drum solo moments. Right. Even um, though everybody's still singing. It's even like... <laughs> though everybody's still singing. And once again, I'm playing Ink. Right. This is not Q going off on some tangent because, yeah. you know, my family's in the audience or something. <laughs> um, but even in that, it's still at the end of the day, it's a we thing. It's like, I am doing this thing because what I am doing is giving the actors what they need because there have been times where I've done something and one of the actors has come back like, yo, like, we need that. Like, mm. we can feel you. We can't see you, but we feel you. Yeah. And that means so much as an artist when someone that you hold in such high regard is like, yo, like, I like what you're doing. It helps me do my job better. Yep. You know? Yep. And so for me, it's always the we effort. Like, I've always been like that. I don't ever want to lose that about myself. Even if I do a million and one drum clinics, I'm always going to come back to the we mm-hmm. effect. Because I together we all achieve more, which spells out team. Yeah. And I'm just a team guy. Like, I, I like it that way. You know, it doesn't have to be lonely at the top if we bring the right people with us. There's one non ain't too proud thing I want to ask you about, and it's Uh-oh. this it's this new studio that you're about to build. Oh, so you just you built this house, right? Mm-hmm. And you've got like a raw space mm-hmm. that that you're going to create your new studio in, right? Um, I was in your old studio mm-hmm. many many times. It was a nice space. Mm-hmm. You got great sounds out of there, um, and. I, I, I'm not going to give you the opportunity to quote chapter and verse about all the gear and all the treatment nope. and all the shit you're going to put in the studio because we're never going to get out of here. End. What I do want to ask you is what um, what were some shortcomings in your old studio or what like what was your old studio not quite capable of that you want to have in your new space oh that's a good question and to be quite honest I don't know <laughs> you know and that's just the 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 most honest answer I can give you. Um, hopefully I answer it indirectly. The things that I did not know in the old space allowed me to be successful in that space. Huh? Yeah. Right. Right. Um, I'm a bit more fearful now than I was before because I didn't know what I didn't know. Right. I'm experiencing that in this room. You're talking about just like ignorance is bliss. Right. I don't really know what the rules are. I'm going to do what I think is right. You know, bounce some things off of other people. Right. But a lot of trial and error, a lot of trial and error. But because I was so successful, like no one ever complained about drum sound. No one ever complained about mic placement. No, like everything that I always, the feedback that I always heard from Anyone that I recorded drums for, and we're talking about, you know, Broadway stuff. We're talking about stuff that was on Billboard for weeks at a time. You know, multi-platinum artists that I've worked with from my little studio. Yeah. Um. So, I, for me, I get to a point where, like, if it ain't broke, I'm not fixing it with gear or yeah. anything once i got it set up and i knew because it took so much to get it set up once i got it set up and i spent a ton of money on gear and all of that stuff once i got it set up i was like you know what i'm good yeah but now going into this new space i do know more now and i'm fearful 
that I'm going to overanalyze it. Oh, I'm positive you're going to overanalyze but it. <laughs> I, but see, this is the thing. I'm not trying to do that this time. But at the same time, I am trying to allow this space to be what it is and not try to make it what the old space was. Right. I'm not talking about trying to make it identical to your old space. I'm I'm saying that's like, what I was talking about. Okay. No, I'm I'm saying like what was there um was there something that you were fighting in your old space? No. No? No. You just had it like dialed in and it, perfect? I wish I wish I could tell you what it was. <laughs> but after that room was built, I literally just built the you saw those baffles I had on the wall. I yeah. built those by hand. It took me a week to build those. I got the the sheet uh the the sheetrock or the rigid insulation. I put it in a the the two by twos and hung it up on the wall and it was just enough. And like I've had like bona fide producers and engineers come over, like because I'm asking them, hey, like how can I improve my space? They hit the space bar and they listen and they're like I don't know what you want me to say. Like <laughs> you're getting the result. Like your drums sound better than the room, the drums in my room. Like right. you're doing fine. Yeah. Um, I don't know how much of that was luck because I, I inherited the space. I didn't build that space out. Right. The shape of the space, the height of the, the ceilings, like mm -hmm. all of that stuff was gifted. So right. to speak. Right. Um, having this blank canvas, though, there are some things that I would like to improve on. I'm thinking about instead of doing dro uh, drop ceiling this time, I'll probably do uh, drywall mm -hmm. so I can float clouds. Yeah. You know, um, and have a few more deflectors so I can. I was really good. That's okay. I'm glad you s we had this question. There was like my drum sound was my drum sound. And if I change snares or I change cymbals and, and maybe put some dampeners on it, I could change the sound of my drums. But in this space, because it's a little bigger, um, just angling things a little different, different mic placements, maybe a, a few more diffusers, mm -hmm. being able to change the sound of the room yeah. for specific genres of music, right. I would say is probably the thing that I'm looking forward to the most. Um, so I'm being really, um, intentional about, you know, how the space is being created, Yeah, you know, so that I can do that because I'm like really in love with your space. I want to be able to create a space where if I want a small, close, intimate kind of avant-garde type kit, you know, with the space, but then also if I need to sound like I'm in a arena, yeah. And not have to create that with reverb. Yeah. You yeah. Know? And that's man, I'm I'm realizing that that is uh like a higher level game mm -hmm. that, that a lot of drummers don't get to. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, a, a lot of drummers don't have the space mm -hmm. to get there. And, and what I'm talking about is like using your space as an instrument, mm -hmm. right? Because I think for for most drummers you know, me included in this little room, like the, the best we can do is for the room not to be a liability, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. It's just going to be neutral. Mm -hmm. um, it might be a little better than neutral, but it's like a room like this is never going to be like an asset. Right. Right. I, I feel you. Um, but if you look at, 
you know, like Aaron Sterling or Dan Bailey or one of those guys who can like manipulate the actual room. Right. Um, and like Dan Bailey put up a video a couple weeks ago where like he, he said like, I'm not using close mics. Like everything you're hearing is like a mono overhead and two room mics. I was like, shit. Love it. <laughs> Love it. And I, I think for me, that's the thing that, because, you know, just like anything else, like when you, uh, because COVID has basically forced everybody into home recording, right? Yeah. And all home recording is not created equally. Um, but with that, you know, getting into that stuff, like being able to manipulate, you know, air. Yeah. You know, being <laughs> able to manipulate, like, Ash, Ash shown, like, oh, my God. He's, like, when I hear him play a Brody, we were just yeah. talking about Brody earlier. Yeah. It's like that sound you know yep and it's the same drums in the same place um my friend desmond davis who's in nashville like he he does the same thing and i have countless other friends like varo who create uh all of the drums on anita wilson's last project he did from his basement wow and the drums sound incredible calvin who plays drums for everybody including jesus um <laughs> Shout out to Calvin Rogers. Um, he records a lot of drums from his basement as well. Mm -hmm. So uh, Carter McLean, who's just the I Ching of <laughs> freaking recording. Yeah. Um, all of these guys, you know, Andres. Andres' studio is just like ridiculous. Yeah. But it's that creating that, you know, it's like they can keep the same instrument and change minor details about their room. Oh, I'm going for this. Let me pull this cloud down this way. Yep. And let me turn the mics. Like you were talking about your, your AB versus XY. Yeah. Uh, microphone placement and how, you know, you're digging that sound versus the XY. Yeah. And I like, I got to mess with it more, but I, I feel like maybe the AB spaced pair just likes this room better. Like right. I was doing pretty well with XY, but that might be one of the things I've learned about my room mm -hmm. that like, XY doesn't necessarily go that well. But see, that's what I'm trying to do with this new room. You got to learn it. I want I want it to be a situation where regardless of whether it's XY or AB, the choice of that mic placement, I want it to be because the engineer prefers that mm -hmm. or the music calls for it versus me saying, well, AB is what sounds best in this room. Right. I want the room to be an asset and the room is like, oh, we're doing XY today? Cool. Yeah. And it sounds great and equally great in AB or whether I decide to do a crotch mic or whether I just decide to do a stereo pair of room mics, you know. Um, so for me, it's that, you know, and just uh, I don't have the time. Like I've been home for a week and a half. I know that's the other thing. Like so you like you had this house built mm -hmm. uh, and it got it got finished like you started the process during COVID. But then it, it got finished when you were on tour, like your whole family <laughs> moved into this house without you. Yep. Everybody. <laughs> and so like it's literally been <laughs> literally like uh, waking up, not realizing that I wasn't in a hotel. And like, oh, I'm home and just dozing back off to <laughs> but I, sleep. But I still don't know where I anything is. I still don't know. Like I'm hitting, hitting 
hitting like switches and ceiling fans are coming on. I'm like, nope, that's not it. It's light. <laughs> or it's like, where's my toothpaste? Like, where? <laughs> like, so honestly, I've still been living. At, like, I have clothes. I yeah. swear I have more than hoodies. But I am literally just living out of the suitcases that I was taking on tour because I know where that stuff is. Yeah. You know, so. Yeah. It's great, though. Like I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what your room does, man. And and I'm I'm glad to hear that you're thinking about the room itself. Mm-hmm. Because you're such a gearhead. I am. Like, I'm, and I'm sure there's going to be gear talk and, and gear debate about that room. I'm going to keep the same stuff. The only thing I may upgrade is my laptop, my, uh, my computer. Okay, great. Not Perfect. Doing anything else? Perfect. But that's what like I'm broke. <laughs> <laughs> the, the in your old studio, like you got you got great sounds out of that room, mm-hmm. but not on like this room. I I never felt like I heard the room mm-hmm. right. Like you you did what most people do, which is kind of get that room to neutral. Mm-hmm. The drums sound good in here. The mics like it. Mm-hmm. But but now you have an opportunity. Like okay, how can I make this room? an instrument yeah and i'm i'm afraid that's the thing i'm afraid of because i don't want to go to the point of and it's kind of my personality you know which is part of the programming thing like just over obsessing over the the most minuscule thing and missing the overall thing yeah and it's so easy to do that with studios, whether it be gear acquisition or software acquisition or, you know, um, the placements of whatever. You can go in on 45 minutes on, like, snare mic placement. By itself. Just, yeah. I've done it so many times. Right. So, you know, for me, because I know more off of that experience, I'm afraid. Like, I wish I could erase that and just be like, oh, do 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 Oh, I got this room. I want to put drums in it. Right. Let me just do what I think. Because that's what benefited me before. Yeah. You know, and... And you I, let your ears guide you before. And I think that's what I'm going to have to do now and not let... My, but sometimes my ears whisper and my mind screams. So all I hear is, you need this and you need that and you yeah. need this. And your ears are like, no, like, yeah. let's just... The keep- last the last interview I did was Blair Sinta. Mm-hmm. And um, he, because he does that recording drums podcast. Mm-hmm. And he said one of the, one of the kind of like things that kept coming up was the idea of listening with your eyes. Mm-hmm. And he said he interviewed Kurt Pescara and Kurt was like, at a certain point, like after, you know, Pro Tools took over, like all the musicians in the studio just started staring at the screen. Mm-hmm. And... <laughs> Like that cracked me up. Yeah. But I like I found myself doing that so many times. Um and I the the good sounds that I've gotten out of here haven't been on the screen. The great they've, sounds. Been, they've been in oh thanks, man. Man. Thank you. You but, guys you guys, he's he has a really amazing snare <laughs> that he should just let me take with me. But, I, but he, leave, leave one with me. I'll I'll swap one. For I don't me. have you. Now I'm on yeah. tour. I'm actually I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna put Matt Krause on blast right now because this this is a Sakai aluminum snare that Matt amazing. acquired and he didn't like it. He just he he couldn't get it to sound the way he wanted. He, and he just gave it to me. He hey Matt. Like, <laughs> hey Matt. Hey, listen. If you're listening, I hope you will listen to this podcast. Thanks for listening. <laughs> but if you have any other snare drums. That you don't like the sound of, forget Zach. He's 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 greedy. Just send him to your boy. Yeah, because Q needs another snare drum. I need another snare you drum. You don't at all. 
Oh, man. God. Don't say that out loud. There's always a reason for another snare drum, Zach. Uh, don't tell my wife that. I am literally, I'm probably going to do a snare drum podcast. <laughs> you could do it. I could do a snare you drum podcast. You could totally do it. I think I'm going to, I think, I think I'm going to have like different artists and like we're going to talk about, we're going to take a, that's a good idea. Like just, you should do it. You should do like a snare drum edition and just have oh man, maybe like five to ten minutes of guys talking about their favorite snare drum. Like all of your old guests like Todd Superman and Andres and Clayton, like just ask them. Right? Have you seen my eyes glaze over when you start talking about gear? Like. I'm turning you into a gearhead, little <laughs> by little. We have more gear conversations than we than we did before. Well, but whose fault is that? It's mine. <laughs> I take full responsibility unless Kristen is listening, and then it's all Zach's fault. Right. It's mostly my fault. <laughs> man, congratulations on Thanks, this man. show. I'm proud of you. I love you. you. Love you too, it's, bro. It's great to see you doing this, um, and and it's inspiring to me because. Like like we said earlier, the last time we did you know an interview, you were starting out on this journey. You yeah. were like, "This is where I want to go. This is the direction I'm heading," and uh, and you you did it, man. You're you're on the path. Well, man, it takes it takes people like you to you know talk me off the ledge at times. You know? <laughs> Just like I don't know about this, and Zach will be like, "Get out of your head, get your head out of your ass, and get to work." And <laughs> You know, you need people like that to to not only hold you accountable, but keep you keep you on your path. So uh, you're one of those people for me, man. So yeah, I too. appreciate it. Man. I need Thank I you. need you to do it for me. I'm starting out on a thing here. And like I said, get out of your head and take your head out of your ass <laughs> and get to work. All right. All right. You want to grab some lunch? Absolutely. All right. Let's do it. There you go. Thanks to my buddy Q for hanging. Check out Ain't Too Proud's tour schedule. Chances are it'll be near you before too long. Q is also offering a free play-along track on his website. The music you heard at the beginning of this episode was his new single entitled The QR Code, and he's offering a drumless version of it for the rest of us to mess around with. Go to imqrobinson.com slash merch dash one and you'll see it at the bottom of the page there. It's a free download, super cool track, and a fun challenge. Next week, Matt Krause will be talking with Michael Bland. He's a Minneapolis staple and a Prince alumnus. We've been wanting to talk to him for a long time, so that's going to be a must-listen. Hope you check that out. Until then, stay safe, stay sane, and thanks for listening. Cheers. Cheers.